Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Good morning, everyone. I hope you guys are all doing well this morning. And uh, I'm Robert Kelly. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If we haven't uh, yet met, I'm so uh, glad that you've joined us for the kickoff of our brand new series called Training Wheels. And uh, this is a series where we're going to try to encourage you to uh, get on the bike of Christian faith and to get riding. And by the end of the series, we're hoping that you will be increasingly uh, experiencing riding free of our training wheels, uh, kind of like uh, kind of like this kid who's just now learning how to, this YouTube uh, kid who's just now learning how to ride. Maybe you remember when it is that you uh, actually learned how to ride a bike. Some of you still ride today. I mean, I, I thought it was absolutely awesome. Uh, some of you today, you're still doing triathlons, or maybe you just ride for fun, maybe a little bit of exercise, or maybe some of you even still will ride a bike to work as part of your commute. I'd heard a story about a, a, man, a young California teenager, Jordan Duncan. He had to walk to and from his job. Uh, at a packaging line, but it was a two and a half hour walk. And so a cop, Officer Kirk Kiefer, spotted him one day. He stops him. They start talking, and he hears his story. And he's so impressed with uh, this young man that he gets his cop buddies together, and they all kick in some cash to go and buy this kid a mountain bike so that he could ride to work rather than this, you know, have this two and a half hour walk uh, every day. And so this kid was just so happy. He was so thrilled with this, you know, this being able now to have this bike, the freedom and the, the ease with now that he gets to go to work and all of this kind of stuff. So here's another picture of this kid with his bike. Oh, no, that's a, no, no, that's another, because, you know, it's never a bad time to bring back this famous picture of Trevor. So you should expect to see it a couple times a year because I just think it's great. No, maybe you remember, maybe you remember your uh, time when you were riding a bike or learning. I, I, for me, I don't remember losing my training wheels. I remember, though, just the joy of the bike. 
I mean, I, now I had incredible amount of freedom. I could go all over town. I could go looking for my peeps. I could scout the scene, find out what's going on here or there or wherever. It was, it was awesome. In fact, I still love to ride today, but um, now I don't like the pedal, so I, I like two wheels with an engine. So it's a little different, but it's the same sort of thing because with it comes freedom and even excitement, a great deal of enjoyment uh, that comes out of this. So will you get on it? That's the question we'll be asking here. Because if you want to ride, then you need to master the bike, meaning you need to become so familiar with it. In sort of a, a zen-like way, you need to become one with the bike. And the more that you understand it, the more that you depend upon it, the deeper your understanding of the mechanics of it, the more joy-filled your ride will actually be. Now, we sort of see ourselves on a Sunday morning, the teachers who are kind of leading and guiding a little bit, we sort of see ourselves as training wheels. And, you know, training wheels are a great help because, of course, you know, they give you your balance when you're getting started and, you know, they kind of like, you know, they help you so you don't, you know, crush your, kill yourself and all this, you know, you get it started, you got the balance thing going. But, you know, on a bike like this, it's actually sort of silly because, we expect someone eventually to be done with the training wheels. That's actually what we want. And though we see ourselves as training wheels, but we really ultimately hope is we want all of you to be able to get on and to ride without the childish supports. We want you to get on that bike. We want you to experience the freedom that comes with it. To get rid of those training wheels, you're going to have to know and trust the bike. So the first component, we're going to open up in a Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at the very first verse. Leave it open for just a minute, like leave it open for the morning because we're going to be in and out of the, the text a few times. I'm also going to be quoting a lot of other texts from the scriptures for you this morning. We've got a lot of great content that we've got to go through. But we're going to be looking at the first component that we want to understand, and that's that the Bible explains that we are involved in a cosmic battle. That's the first component. There is a cosmic battle, a battle between good and evil in the world. It's a cosmic fight, and it goes on all around us whether we realize it or not. And you want to be on the right side of this battle. You want to be on the correct side of this battle. Look at verse 1, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? So you catch this in verse 2, right, where he's saying there's every violation and disobedience is going to be judged. That means it's going to be judged by God. See, Satan, who is the enemy of God, he wars against God's creation, against the planet, against the people, against the creatures, against you. He wars against us. And the angelic forces of God are actually in a struggle against these enemy forces. And we are brought into the fray. But the scriptures tell us that wherever and whenever there is rebellion, it will be judged by God. Wherever and whenever there is sin, it will be judged by God. And the Bible tells us that the punishment for this sin is death. 
So why is it that God judges every violation and disobedience? Why this fierce warning? I mean, why can't God just do it differently? You know, he's God. Why can't he kind of change the rules for us? You know, why can't he just live and let live? That's what we should do. That's what he should live and let live. How about forgive and forget? Why can't God do the whole forgive and forget thing? I mean, God's love after all, right? Yes. And he's holy and he's just. He can't simply express himself in love. That's not simply who he is. He's holy and he's just as well. Habakkuk 1, 13, Old Testament, he says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. See, God can't look on evil. Now you say, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. All right, let's go to the New Testament. Romans 1, 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now listen, you may not like this truth. You may not like it, but it is true nonetheless. And you know what? It really does make sense. It, it, at first, it's like, oh, I don't like this whole judgment thing. But, but if he, just take God's love as an example. Because, it, you know, it's easy. We talk about love. We talk about holiness and justice. But just take love for a moment. Every sin, every violation of God's way causes suffering to someone or something that God loves. Every sin. Like, oh, come on, That's, it seems like an overstatement, but it really isn't. And you could see it as soon as you begin to, begin to look at it, look for it in the world, you can start to see how this is true. Some guy's driving down the, ro the road, he carelessly throws a plastic bag out his window. Eh, you know, he shouldn't do it, but you know, it's a plastic bag. You know, and then some grand, beautiful pelican gets his neck stuck in this bag. He's flying around. He suddenly gets it stuck on another piece of sea trash that some other bone had dropped in the water. And now that animal slowly starves to death as it's trapped by this little bit of plastic. Ah, you go, ah, oh, that shouldn't have happened. That's wrong. Yeah, something God loved, died, suffered because of someone's sin. It's a tiny little example. You could multiply that 10 billion times with very little effort. But what about more serious issues now? So you were raised in a racist family by generations of racists. What do you know? You don't know anything better. But the sin of the generations is coming back on you. You should know better now. We talk about it enough. You should be able to break your de beat your demons, but you don't. Now you go through life and you get into a position of power. You're some sort of a public servant, and you have real institutional authority. Now you take your racism, and you use it to continue to oppress and discriminate against another generation. Those sins returning to suffering with other people. You can multiply this an infinite number of times. And it wouldn't take long for you, if you were interested in the introspection, to simply look at your own life. Play it out. You know some of the things that you're wrestling with. You know some of your sins, at least. Every one of us knows some of them. Play it out and see how that temper affects your children and, and how your lack of patience causes people to be repulsed by your faith claims. And talk about how, you know, your self-centeredness or your narcissism is affecting, you know, your spouse or, you know, your family. Just 
Go through the list and start to see how it is that all these sins that we continue to commit are actually causing suffering. So if God really does love, he has to deal with sin. Because we're, we're causing the things that he loves, the people that he loves, to suffer. He has to act. The second component is a terrible reality. The terrible reality. And the Bible explains that when this cosmic fight started... Humanity picked the wrong side. We picked the wrong side. We rebelled against God. We sided with his enemy. And we still do today. We still do today. Stephen Jobs, Steve Jobs, he said, remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. Wait, knowing you're going to die is the best way to avoid the trap of thinking you have... I know what he's trying to get at. He's trying to say, live each day as if it were your last, because you're going to die, and then it's over. No. No, you're horribly mistaken in this. He was terribly wrong, which he now knows. The fact of your death should cause you to evaluate everything in this life, because there is a life after this one. This isn't the only one that matters. We need to be thinking about what we will lose if we die on the wrong side of this battle. Now, there's nothing that we can do to get back to God by ourselves. We are hopelessly and impossibly separated from God. We have no real hope and we are banned from eternal life with God and we are destined for hell. That's the Bible's way of explaining that, there, that we will be forever separated from the love and the presence of God for all of eternity. This is what the scriptures tell us. Now, again, you probably don't like this. You probably may not even feel this way. The Bible says it's so. At that point, you're saying that you simply know more than the scriptures, that you will not take God's word at face value. The Bible tells us that we are rebels against God and we are deserving of his wrath. Psalm 14, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. How did Jesus say it in Mark 10? No one is good except God alone. Paul, that great preacher of grace, Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, every last one of us, deserving of God's Wrath. This puts us in a very precarious position because we're on the wrong side of this, fought, this fight and the enemies of God will lose. It also, of course, creates a dilemma for God because God doesn't want to be separated from us, but he also can't let sin go unpunished. So you got to start to ask yourself, where am I headed? You know, where am I going? I heard the story about a grandma. She started uh, cycling when she was 97 years old. Pretty incredible. She starts biking when she's 97 years old. She's been riding 10 miles per day. Problem is, no one knows where the heck she is now. <laughs> just kidding. That's not true. But you get the point, right? You don't know where you're going. All of a sudden, you just keep heading on. Where? Where are you actually going? If you forget, if you're confused, if you don't realize what's going on, where are you going to end? See, there is a better way, and Jesus is the better way. That takes us to the third component. The third component is the hopeful 
return, the hopeful return. See, God wants us to rebel against the rebellion, rebel against the rebellion, because he longs for us to return to him. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death, death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. You see, you get his longing here. You get the desire. In verse 10, he says he's going to bring many sons and daughters to glory. This is the, the, the way, his way of speaking about heaven. He's going to bring them into eternal life because that's what God desires, that we obtain salvation, heaven, and eternal life. In verse 11, he talks about those who are being made holy. Now, this is God talking about us overcoming sin in this world. So now you get the package of salvation. He wants us to beat sin here, and he wants to, us to inherit eternal life in the, in, the next, in the next world. But we cannot accomplish this on our own. We can't do it. In Galatians chapter 2, it says, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, I know that many do not believe this. We want our good works to do it. So we try. We try to be good. We try to work it all out. We do all this religious maneuvering. Even coming here today to church for some of you is exactly this. It's what you're doing. You're trying to maneuver a little bit religiously so that God will look at you and say, okay, now you deserve heaven. Now you deserve salvation. You've been good enough. You've, you've made it. You, sir, you, you overcame. And now because you are good, now... It's, I'm lucky to have you on the team. No, this is the attitude that we want because we want to earn it. We want to prove that we're worth it. We don't like the fact that God says over and over that we're not. See, you can't be good enough to earn God's salvation. You can't. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't be good enough to earn God's favor. Turn to another person and tell them, you can't be good enough to earn God's salvation. See, the Bible said it, the writer of Hebrews tells it, I'm telling it, your neighbor just told you it. This is not a way to make friends, but it is important. You cannot be good enough. And God wants us to be made one with him. And in our best moments, we want to be made one with him as well. It's what the soul really in its deepest places longs for. But there is no way for us to accomplish this on our own. God is promising us victory over this enemy. He's promising us victory over the guilt of our past life. He's promised us victory over sin in our present life and over death in the next life. You see, there is a better way. And Jesus is the better way. But how? 
How will we do this then? The fourth component, the fourth component is the atonement. And this is the biblical teaching that Jesus came and he died and was resurrected from the dead so that we could in fact switch sides, that we could join the rebellion against the rebellion. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 9 of Hebrews. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What does that mean? How does he taste death for everyone? We get a picture of this in verse 14, a little more detail. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. The doctrine of the atonement is one of the most powerful and important doctrines in the whole of the Bible. The word itself means to bring together as one, to bring them together as one. And why do we need to be brought together? Well, we've seen it because we have actually sinned, each and every one of us, because God takes sin so seriously and because we have no way of dealing with sin on our own, we need atonement, a way to be made one again with God. Because God and man, we are hopelessly estranged, separated because of our sin, and there is no way back from our side. So God promises to provide the way. If you're familiar with the Jewish calendar, you know that they just celebrated Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That's what it is. It's the Day of Atonement. And in, in, in the Old Testament, in the old ancient Jewish traditions, the Day of Atonement was the day not where you came before God and said, God, I want to become one with you. Look, I'm great. I'm a really good person. I've done a lot of fantastic stuff this year. I was very generous to poor people, and I was good to my family. So now can we be one? Can you forgive my sins? That's what most of us are trying to do. That's not what the Day of Atonement was about. The Day of Atonement was a day where you found a perfect animal, a perfect animal. And that animal was put on the altar, and it was slaughtered. Its blood spilled for you. That's what the Day of Atonement was. That's Yom Kippur. That's what they were just supposed to be celebrating. The day when an innocent would take your place, where its blood would be poured out on the altar, where your blood deserved to be, where my blood deserved to be. A perfect sacrifice. Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To Jesus. About him. To the crowd. Telling them this very same thing 2,000 years ago. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Jesus, the way he said it in Mark 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus died for your sin. I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, Jesus died for your sin. Go ahead and tell them that. 
tell the other person on the other side too. Tell them, Jesus died for your sin. See, Jesus did this. The sin is a revolt against God and God must act against sin because according to his nature, which is holy and just, the demands of divine justice must be met and it will be met with blood. There's a story was told, uh, Conan Doyle, he wrote a history of the Boer War and it was a story of a small detachment of British troops. They were uh, facing this fierce battle. The enemy came on them very, very quickly, and the Brits couldn't hold their positions, and so they had to fall back very rapidly to other positions. The problem is they couldn't take their wounded with them. They were just outgunned, outmatched. They couldn't take the wounded. We're in the, the no-man zone, the, the dead man zone, between these two fighting sides. Now, the wounded, of course, they're not in, in some form of you know, just war. The wounded aren't targeted by the enemy. But how would you know who the enemy are, right? And so the way that we've historically done this is we fly the banner of the Red Cross to let them know, don't blow these trucks up, don't blow these people up, these are the wounded. They're not enemy combatants anymore. And it's a fairly sacred uh, principle that most nations will actually honor even in war. And these wounded see that they're in this terrible firefight, but they have only a white sheet. They don't have any red paint. So one of the men, he cuts his hand and he, he spreads the, the upright of the blood on this sheet. And one of the other men, one of the, the, the colonels from the mounted cavalry, he does the same. And he creates the, the horizontal beam of the cross. And they raise this blood-stained cross above their position, which was respected by their enemy. And the wounded would lay safe there until the day of warfare had ended. Because there is always safe refuge under the blood-stained cross. That's what Jesus was telling us. He's saying there is a better way. Because Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Now he tells us, at the very beginning, he says, listen, you can't drift away. Do not drift away from this. You've got to pay careful attention to what we've heard. You can't mess this one up. Don't drift away. So if you're not going to drift away, I've got to ask you here this morning. Is Jesus your better way? Is he your better way? Has he tasted death for you? He wants to. He wants you to come home. Have you made it true of you? If you're a follower of Christ... Jesus is the better way shows up in everything that you will do. No matter what you are struggling with, no matter what you are fighting, if you're already a follower of Christ, then, then he is the better way. I'm, you know, I'm, let's say I'm fighting some temptation. I got these things I'm dealing with. I'm continually falling back into these particular sins, and I can't beat them, and I just, it's very frustrating to me, and I, I feel unworthy of the name Christian, and I can't understand why I'm still wrestling with these things over and over and over again. I get very frustrated with myself. I could beat myself up. Because, of course, what I'm trying to do is prove to God just how worthy I am. And I come back to the cross and I say, wait, Jesus is the better way. He already has called me righteous in his kingdom. He's already made me holy before him. He's already declared that he's going he to spend eternity with him. I'm breaking the power of sin and temptation because I'm embracing Jesus as the better way in my life. 
You know, or maybe it's like, you know, after a Sunday, I'll, we'll, I'll do like a message or something. And, you know, many times on a Sunday afternoon, I'll pick through everything that I should have done better, could have done better, wish I had studied harder. Monday morning, I feel terrible. I'm like, you know, people should never come back to the church, you know, because it was horrible. And, you know, you do this thing, right? You play this game because, of course, we're trying to get our identity out of our performance. And if you're a follower of Christ and you're trying to get your identity out of what you do and out of your performance, it's a taskmaster. It beats you down. You know how I, now what I do? I try to tell myself, listen. This is not where I get my identity. It's not where I get my source of, uh, of direction or value or anything like that. My value comes from the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. You want to know how much I'm worth? One son of God. According to him. One son of God. That's what, I'm, that's what my value is. And I get to come back to it and say, listen, Jesus is the better way. He's the better way. But not all of you here are actually followers of Christ. And so now you've got to ask yourself, what are you choosing over Jesus? What have you decided is better than him? You've never made a commitment, maybe. Maybe you've never said, you know what, I'm all in. I want to follow him till the day I die, and I want him to, I, I know, I trust he's going to take me to heaven. What are you clinging to? What addictions, what fears, what arrogance or pride? What are you clinging to that is keeping you from declaring Jesus as the better? The growth groups this week, they're going to be exploring this topic in great detail, helping each person uncover this. We want to ask you guys, if you're, not, if you're in a growth group, great, you're going to love it. If you're not, you should consider getting one because you're going to be answering this kind of a question together with a group of people who know you and love you and will pray for you. But for those of you who haven't yet made this decision, we're going to give you an opportunity to here this morning. When the band, I'm going to ask the band to come on up. band's going to come up and they're going to lead us through a couple more songs and take us to the Lord's table. But before that happens, we're going to give all of you an opportunity here this, moment, uh, this morning to respond. To see whether or not you are willing and able, and, and this day can be the day that you declare Jesus as the better. So what we're going to do is I'm going to go through a couple of, I'm just going to say a prayer. They call it the sinner's prayer. The prayer itself isn't magical, but if the idea behind it represents where you are really at, if you've never decided to follow Christ, and the ideas of what we've been talking about this morning really do reflect where you're at with him, then we encourage you to make this the day that you declare him better. And so the prayer will be simple enough, but it'll go through a few things. It'll be you acknowledging that you're a sinner. So if you believe that you are in fact a sinner and that you deserve the consequences of your sin, if you know that you can't save yourself, and if you are willing to trust in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross as your sacrifice for sin, then we're going to thank him for forgiving us and trusting him that he will do it. We're going to repent of our old ways of life and trust in him as the better way. It's a commitment to following him all the days that you remain here on this planet. If that reveals the place of your heart today, then I'm going to ask that you pray a prayer with me here in just a moment. You'll just repeat after me in the silence of your heart. For the rest of you who are already followers of Christ, I'm asking that you would just pray for the people who are here all around you. Ask God where you're at, of course, but be praying for the people who are making this decision 
some here for the very first time. I'm going to ask that all of you stand as we pray this uh, prayer. I'm going to ask you guys to just, uh, you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes. And in the quietness of your own heart, just if this is your prayer, then repeat it um, in your own heart and mind after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and deserve the consequences of my sin. I know that I cannot save myself. I trust that your death on the cross is the atonement for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. I turn away from my old ways and old life and trust you as the better way. As my Lord and Savior, I commit my life to following you, to trusting you, to living for you. Amen.